You're listening to Around Comics, top of the stack for March 27th, What's up, everybody? It's Sal once again. I know you're disappointed. You're you you just keep waiting, like the little junkies that you are. You just keep waiting for that next episode of a full cast of Around Comics, and I just keep not giving it to you. I I'm, I know it's disappointing. I know, uh, but you know the the heart grows fonder and all that, right? Uh, isn't there a saying? Isn't hasn't didn't somebody write something about that once? Anyway, uh, what is this? So, uh, as you may have noticed, um, I didn't put out a Classic Clips episode this week. Um, just busy and couldn't get around to it. But I did release a bunch of new episodes. Uh, that, uh, uh, well, a bunch of old episodes, I should say. Um, the archive episodes, the, the Around Comics Classic episodes. Uh, I uploaded about, I don't know, six more of those, something like that. Uh, the other day, so those are all available on the feed. They should be. If they're not on the feed, if you can't find them on iTunes, um, then uh, go to the website, uh, aroundcomics.com. They're on there. You can listen to them on there. But they should be on iTunes and Overcast and Spotify and all those places. I don't know. There seems to be some sort of lag or delay or problem with the feed uh, when I update things. It takes a while, uh, at least for the old episodes, to, to show up. So I don't know. Um, I'm sure it's something to do with the fact that these are from uh, almost 10 years ago. That might have something to do with it, Sal, uh, but maybe not. Anyway, uh, this episode is uh, is just going to be a top of the stack. I think I'm going to start doing this. I read weekly comics, not a ton, uh, but I do pay attention to what's going on. I read a, a handful of comics on Wednesdays. I usually get some, some digital comics, and uh, I don't go to the stores anymore. Uh, I just don't have time, but I do download some stuff. And, and uh, pick and choose and just sort of find interesting things. So I figured, what the heck? Why not do an old top of the stack on Fridays uh, that you guys can listen to and I can talk about some comics. We'll see if you guys like it or not. I don't know. It's up to you. Uh, you, you will be the arbiter of whether or not I keep doing this or it just uh, goes away like uh, a lot of the other things that, uh, that, that tend to, to happen with around comics. We start stuff and it just kind of goes away. We, we, we lose uh, interest in things. But uh, Top of the Stack is one of those things that people have always enjoyed, it seems like. Uh, So uh, why not talk about some comics? All right, right into it. Let's get into it. Uh, This week, Peter Cannon, Thunderbolt, written by Kieran Gillen, with art by Casper Wungard, and colors by Mary Safford? 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 I'm not sure how to pronounce it. This is a Dynamite Comics book. Uh, This is one of their uh, open source... I think it's an open source character at this point. Um, I think that's what most of their characters are. They go back to uh, to the old Golden Age characters. And if you're not familiar with Dynamite Comics and, and what they've been doing for the last whatever, however many years, is you know they, they tell a lot of retellings, revamp 
uh, stories with uh, Golden Age characters because they're uh, they have some cachet with comic book fans, maybe the few that are still alive that read these comics, and uh, they're they're free. You can use them. You they're open source. Um, uh, the, the copyright has run out on these characters, so you can go ahead and use them. They're not the first to do that kind of thing. Uh, Peter Cannon Thunderbolt is um, a character from uh, Charlton uh, Comics. It was a Charlton Comics character. And that might sound familiar to some of you uh, if you're familiar with Watchmen. Alan Moore's Watchmen, the, uh, the, the, I don't know, some say I might agree, the best comic book ever written, the best 12-issue uh, maxi-series ever produced by uh, comic book creators. Some say that. Watchmen character Ozymandias. Yes, uh, Peter Cannon Thunder Thunderbolt was uh, inspiration for Ozymandias, the, uh, spoiler alert, the villain, ultimately, uh, but that's questionable, I guess, too. That's sort of the whole point of the book. The villain of uh, Watchmen. So what are we going to get with this Ozymandias? Type of character. What are we going to get with this Peter Cannon Thunderbolt? There's a weird name, Peter Cannon Thunderbolt. I don't know what the genesis of that name is, but it's kind of an odd uh, configuration of, it's like, is he the Thunderbolt? Is he producing a Thunderbolt, Peter? It's Peter Cannon colon Thunderbolt. So I guess he is the Thunderbolt. It's sort of like Agent James Bond. Is it colon 007? I don't know. Um, but anyway, uh, what are we going to get with this Peter Cannon? colon Thunderbolt. We, uh, we're going to get Kieran Gillen sort of diving into the meta-textual uh, idea that he was the um, influence for for Ozymandias. That's kind of what we're getting here, at least in the, in the first two issues. Two, two issues of this have come out. I've read them both. I have to say that I, I wasn't all that keen on it the first time I read the first issue. In fact, I don't know that I actually finished it, um, and there's a couple of reasons for that. One is the art. Uh, it's uh, nothing against Casper Wingard. I think he's he's a fine artist. It's just not a style of art that I particularly enjoy, um, and it's not a very exciting. It's a serviceable, um, sort of flat, very mechanical artwork. Um, Kieran uh, Kieran Gillen seems to work with these types of artists. Uh, he, I, I don't know if that's the kind of thing that he likes. He likes a very practical looking, uh, I think he wants to skirt the line between reality and fantasy maybe. Um, and that's why he, he chooses to use these types of artists or, or, or I shouldn't say use. He chooses to collaborate with these types of artists. I don't know. Um, but it's, it's almost, a. it almost looks like it's, some of it's been done in Adobe Illustrator. The line work is so mechanical, um, that, that. It, it gives me that sense that it's it's uh, actually being done uh, in the computer and 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 sort of the curvatures are being uh, created by algorithms and not human hands. I don't know if that's the case or not. I have no idea. I, I don't know Casper Wungard. I'm not that familiar with his work. And like I said, I'm not trying to bash his work at all. Um, I, I, I think he's a good storyteller. I think he's doing what he wants to do, you know, what he's trying to accomplish with this book, which is is grounded in a certain amount of reality. Uh, they're playing around with sort of the idea of comic books and the idea of the meta world of uh, Watchmen and Charlton and how these characters sort of cross over and that, you know, is interesting. And that's 
why when I went back and read it again, after sort of hearing other people talk about it, I, I, sh I should say, I think uh, I fanboy are the guys that made me go back. Uh, Josh mentioned something, I think, on Twitter. And it made me go back and read it again and finish it. And I, I'm glad I did because it is interesting. And, and that's something um, sorely lacking in comics, I think, today is actually people playing around with the medium, playing around with ideas and concepts. I mean, a lot of the stuff that's being produced today is, you know, in, in mainstream comics, it's to service um, uh, the idea of getting bigger readers, you know, a, a bigger reader base. Uh, selling those characters, those IPs, servicing Warner Brothers, servicing Disney, that kind of thing, um, while telling good stories, <clears throat> trying to, but I think you're handcuffed to a certain degree with that, naturally, as as mainstream big two publishing has always been. That's nothing new, but I think a lot of that is, is limiting in the creator's best stories, or at least being able to really um, play with the medium or really uh, try and experiment. And then even in creator-owned comics, I think you have the same problem to a certain degree because when someone's creating you know, their own creator-owned stuff, I think a lot of times they are hamstrung by the idea that they have to sell it. They have to try and either sell it you know, in single issues, in trades, or trying to get some sort of development deal with a movie or TV production, something like that, to try and make some goddamn money because there's just not uh, there's just not that that tons of cash that allows the artist to really experiment a lot of times. So I I'm very interested to see where this kind of goes um, because of that because Gil, uh, Kieran Gillen and Casper Wingard are experimenting. They're playing around with some ideas and they're doing that in the in the the panel layouts, um, the concepts of sort of, you know, what do panel layouts mean? You know, in Watchmen, we had the nine panel grid, which was something that Alan was very strict on and, and, and um, that, that was part of the medium, part of the story, if you will. I'm not going to get into it. You know, you can, you can do all the research you need to do on Watchmen if you don't, if you don't sort of understand it already. Uh, but that was part of the story was playing with that or, or not playing with, but limiting themselves to that structure. And so Kieran is sort of doing the opposite. He's sort of uh, breaking through that and, and, and asking questions about the limitations of the nine panel grid. And it gets deeper than that. I don't want to, I don't want to spoil too much about the book, but it gets a little deeper than that. Um, so I'm really interested to see where this goes. I'm very much uh, in favor of anyone that's willing to to do this sort of thing. It, it interests me when when creators want to start experimenting and and uh, delve into the deeper meaning of things. And um, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. I don't know. I don't know how long of a series this is. I don't know if this is a limited series. I'm assuming it's it's a limited series. I will say this, um, I don't know, you know, people have kind of said that he's poking fun at Watchmen or he's taking shots at Watchmen. I don't know if that's the case. If it is, I don't know that it's a really good idea. Um, I mean, nothing against Kieran Gillen. I think he's a fine enough writer, but I don't know that you really want to take shots at Watchmen when, um, you know, your work is, is 
is just fine, but it's about as deep as a pop song. Um, to to sort of throw that back at Kieran, uh, he's you know he's a big fan of pop music. You know we've been talking to him. I've been talking about Kieran Gillen's work since Phonogram. Uh, you can go back and and listen to episodes of us uh, talking to him about that kind of thing, uh, about his early work and and Phonogram and pop music and you know that's something that's very dear and dear to his heart. He writes a lot about music and the the sort of magic of music and what it does to people, that kind of thing. And, and I don't, uh, you know, he he knows music more than I'll ever know or ever care to know, um, and and that's for sure. But, you know, it is pop music. And not, not to say that that isn't important, because I, that's like saying comic books aren't important, but let's not take ourselves too goddamn seriously, and let's not take shots at uh, one of the great works in comics um, if that's what he's doing. I don't know that he is. I don't know that that's actually the case. I think people are sort of stirring that up a little bit and saying that he's taking shots at Watchmen. I don't know if he's necessarily taking shots or if he's just deconstructing it a little bit. I mean, that Watchmen deconstructed the comics before it, and now he's sort of deconstructing Watchmen with uh, a character that influenced Watchmen. So it's it's an interesting experiment. So there you go. That's uh, that's sort of the top of the stack. There's two issues out of Peter Can and Thunderbolt. It's very interesting stuff. I'm very intrigued to see where it goes. So that's uh, that's the first book I have to talk about. Second, uh, next book I have to talk about today is uh, Black Hammer, Age of Doom, numero eight. Uh, this is by Jeff Lemire with art by Dean Ormston uh, and colors by Dave Stewart. I love Black Hammer. Uh, this is just super in my wheelhouse. It, you know, Jeff Lemire has absolutely nailed uh, a comic that I will uh, read just about anything that he does with these characters. Now, um, he he has just absolutely captured the best of sort of the Silver Age, Golden Age, fun uh, weirdness. It can go anywhere, but given it a uh, depth that those comics maybe didn't have, never, never you know, intentionally had, um, and a modern tale with characters that you, that have more modern, uh, problems and flaws and issues and are dealing with things that, um, are, uh, you know, things that we can all relate to a little bit more today. Uh, not that you couldn't have related to these things back then, but I think golden age, silver age comics were a little more simplistic, uh, where, you know, in, in, in Age of Doom and in, in um, Black Hammer, you're dealing with a lot of social issues and that kind of stuff, but not uh, it's not hitting you over the head with it like a hammer, no pun intended. Uh, it's it's Jeff Lemire just you know, doing what he does best, which is write about characters. He's a he's a great character um, writer. He, he, he gives you characters that you care about, you fall in love with, you want to see their stories, you want to see where they go. These just happen to be you know, sort of golden age uh, and silver age type superheroes that, um, you know, is, like I said, it's right in my wheelhouse. He gets me every time, almost every issue. It's amazing. He's just, he's really just taking the formula of silver age comics and every issue is the same goddamn thing. Like it ends on a big cliffhanger. You, you, you sort of, you know, just, just like a silver age comic and it, it, it leaves you wanting more. Uh, in this particular issue, we kind of find out what has happened to the fate of the team uh, after Colonel Weird sent them back through the portal. There are some spoilers here, obviously. Um, 
and uh, we find out that uh, that Sam is is working as a security guard in a museum. Um, interestingly enough, guarding old fossils, that kind of stuff, which I thought was an interesting little thing. Um, Barbalian is back on Mars, being he's an outcast because of his uh, his love uh, interests, uh, his his romantic uh, other. Uh, is something that is shunned on Mars. The the Mars aliens are homophobic, um, and so he's uh, he's outcast and he's trying to get to Earth because he feels like he, maybe they'll have a chance to have a normal happy life on Earth. Um, and and Lucy is uh, working at a pizza joint and constantly thinking about you know there's an itch she hasn't scratched. There's something she's missing. It's interesting. You know, the, the, it looks like. For whatever reason, however, I don't know if this is more of uh, Mad at Dragonfly's trickery because she we don't see her. Um, we don't see Colonel Weird. We kind of know what has happened to him in the last issue. Uh, we don't see Madam Dragonfly, and we don't see uh, Talkie Walkie um, in this issue. Uh, so we don't, we're not sure what has happened to them. So it could be another trick. It could be another spell by Madam Dragonfly putting them in another place. They, bas- they they look to be in New York or in, or not New York. I can't. Spiral City. They look to be in, they're in Spiral City or some version of Spiral City uh, and they're living very, very mundane lives. So maybe now the trick is okay, they, they figured it out when we kind of gave them the semblance of mundane lives but they still had memories of being superheroes. Maybe now we have to put them Back in the matrix, if you will, and uh, make their lives extremely ordinary. I don't remember if it was the matrix or something else. Something I read, I think it was like a, a Philip Dick novel uh, or something about um, uh, you know putting if if you if your brain was basically put into a computer or put into a jar, but you were you know given the idea that you were walking around living your regular life, would you know it, and would it matter? But there was something about, like, you couldn't give people extraordinary lives. You had to give them mundane lives or else they sort of rebelled. I don't remember the philosophy behind it. It was something I was reading about, like, that kind of um, sci-fi philosophy where, you know, if, if you did live in the Matrix, would it be something you would, uh, you know, if you lived a, an ordinary life, a more ordinary life, would that be something your the human mind is more used or conditioned to accepting as opposed to an extraordinary life because you know we walk around in everyday sort of mundaneness um so so are we conditioned to sort of want that or accept that so is that what what's going on here have they have they been put back into the matrix if you will of the creator's mind um given very uh, ordinary lives and and, uh, one of the one of the things we notice is sam is reading a comic book of um a character that looks very much like a combination of Black Hammer and and Sam's characters, uh, Slam, Slam and what is it, Slam and I don't know, Slam and Sam, whatever his name is. Um, he looks like that, but he's you know he's a comic book character. He's not an actual real superhero. There doesn't seem to be any real superheroes in this world. I don't know. Uh, we don't find out enough. Jeff Lemire doesn't give us enough information. He just teases us, and then at the end, there's another Silver Agey goodness uh cliffhanger to that you just go oh god damn it and then i gotta wait a month for the next issue uh just awesome stuff i i really love 
everything that Lemire has done with Black Hammer. I, I hope this universe that he's sort of creating um, just continues to expand uh, and he, he just keeps doing this forever. I, I will read it. Uh, it's like I said for me for a for a forty something year old dude who's been reading comics his whole life and and um, you know a lot of today's not a lot but the, you know some of the, the stuff today isn't necessarily made for me um, so it's hard you know it's hard for me to enjoy comics that aren't made for me and that's but that's cool there's nothing I'm not bashing that in any way I'm just saying it's the the reality is I don't necessarily relate to. Um, characters that are being written by uh, 20-somethings for 20-somethings. That's natural. I think that's a normal thing. That If I did, maybe that'd be a little weird. Um, but this this is, you know, this is something that Lemire has just, you know, given me my fix. He's just, he's just mainlined, uh, you know, sort of Silver Age cocaine into my veins with this, and uh, I'm hooked. I'm, I'm a junkie for for Black Hammer. Ah, uh, what else? I don't know. That's all I've really read this week that I am willing to talk about with you. Um, uh, everything else. Uh, I, I've read a few other things. I did want to uh, mention, if you have a, a moment and you're interested in this sort of thing, more industry kind of news. I know we don't really go into industry stuff. We're not really interested. Chris and, and Tom and I are all of the same mind that we're not really looking to talk about industry stuff because we find it kind of boring. But I did run across an interesting article. Brian Hibbs, uh, who is a uh, retailer, comic book store owner, comics experience. He is also a very influential uh, sort of member of the comic book industry. He uh, he is a outspoken uh, comic book uh, retailer. Uh, he was invited to talk at Comics Pro over the weekend, and the full text of his uh, his sort of speech or his presentation was released. You can find it on various websites. Just search for it, Brian Hibbs. Um, but it's an interesting read if, if you're uh, into that kind of thing. He, he goes into sort of the problems with the direct market, how it exists today, and what the publishers, all publishers, do as sort of predatory behavior to get you to buy or to get stores to buy uh, comics that aren't going to sell, maybe, and, and, and variant covers and all that kind of stuff. And it really is interesting to me because it, it goes back to, I just finished reading the book um, Marvel Comics, The Untold Story by Sean Howe, uh, which is a, a very interesting uh, read. Um, it's, a, it's a great sort of uh, timeline of Marvel Comics and the comic book industry. It's, it, you know, it's not as salacious as it sounds. There's, there's some talk uh, you know, there, there, there's some stuff in there, some spilling of tea, as the kids say now these days, but not really that. It's not, it, it, it's more just sort of a, a bird's eye view of the industry of Marvel Comics and, and you know, from the, uh, the timely era. It goes up just about um, to uh, right before the whole Marvel Universe, uh, cinematic universe explosion. Uh, kind of up to the Spider-Man movies, and then and then um, that's about where it ends. But uh, very good uh, overview of the industry. It's very if you're into that kind of thing. But if you listen to that book, what it you know what one of the things that's interesting is all these things Brian Hibbs talks about, all this predatory behavior and all this you know things that the publishers are doing to just sell books. Which is their job, rightfully so. But but a lot of the sort of dirty tactics, it, this stuff started in the '80s. It's nothing new. It, I mean, they started this stuff really in the '80s um, when 
corporate, you know, corporations started running comics and it wasn't, you know, creators, it wasn't editors, it wasn't um, people that loved comics. It was it was shareholders and corporations and executives and, you know, millionaires and guys that just gave a shit about money and not about quality comics. And that's when a lot of this stuff started. The direct market started at that same time. And the direct market was, you know, the same, you know, the only thing, the only reason the direct market exists is because the publishers wanted to cut out the, the newsstand distribution. They didn't want to have to go through newsstand distribution and, and they cultivated this audience of buyers. So it amazes me that it's still the same sort of thing and it's only gotten worse. Um, so there's a couple of things to check out. I know that's not comics, but it is sort of top of the stack of what I'm reading. Uh, I would say go find that article. It's very interesting. It's a little long, but it is interesting how he kind of, you know, shows you the uh, how the sausage is made a little bit about retailers and comic book stores. I think we're in trouble. I think comic book stores are in trouble, uh, but I don't know. I don't have a solution. Uh, and then uh, Sean, Ho's, Sean Howe's book, um, Marvel Comics, The Untold Story, very good. Uh, bird's eye view of the industry stuff, uh, sp specifically Marvel, but it gets into a little more than that. Uh, good stuff. All right, that's it for this week. That is your top of the stack episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Chris, Tom, and I will be back, I believe, this weekend. We're recording an episode, so Monday, hopefully, we will have a brand new episode of Around Comics, episode 301, uh, for your ear holes. I hope you guys enjoy this. I hope you've been enjoying all the stuff that we've been doing, and hopefully we'll be, uh, we'll be doing it for a long time still. All right. In the meantime, in between time, we'll be everywhere in and around comics.